Previously on 94 Chill, the podcast. First, feel free to fast forward ahead. David, David Wong? David Wong? Did you doze off there? Black stuff, this soy sauce. It's a drug, right? Just tell me what this stuff is, John. Effects don't last that long. The side effects don't last that long. The effects will last the rest of my life, I think. Why don't you tell me? Tell me about your friend John. I mean, that's tough, Dave. I'm remembering things that haven't happened yet. You got to be really brave to ask yourself the scary questions. Your friend is the only known survivor. The rest are dead. He's not looking too healthy right about now. It'd be opening doors to other worlds, man. It's the weirdest thing you've ever seen, Arnie. So leave the police station right now during all the commotion. There's another guy in here with me. It's another cop. No, there's not. Check the mirror. How does somebody get into this? There's dead guys and drugs. It's kind of a long story, but now we can see things. Things are in motion, Mr. Wong. Nothing you're seeing is real. I suppose you are wondering where you are. You're having like a like a bad trip or whatever they call it. But there is no magic. Move now. I got my attention, Mr. Wong. Oh, it gets better. A lot better. Little hands says it's time to rock and roll. Bring the noise. All right, this is 90sforchills.com, the podcast. I am your host, uh, Russ Stevens, and joining us again this week is Kodiak Thompson. You may remember him from the episode dedicated to Henry Rollins, and primarily the uh, big feature being He Never Died. It's an easy one to sell to people I've... uh, found once you just give the premise out everybody loves that movie it's it's so good yes well so i was looking for a uh, guest this week uh, i was throwing out suggestions on facebook i uh, thought about the phantasm movies directed by don coscarelli there's five of them all of them under 100 minutes and that really pays off when it comes to the fourth film um not to say that it's bad, but we'll probably get to that. Uh, but I also asked Kodiak to be back since I had uh, good old Joe on last week. And he uh, suggested another Don Coscarelli movie, which was uh, John Dies at the End. I think that may have been the last one he really directed. He does not direct Phantasm Five Ravager. Um. So basically, we just figured there's the common thread there with Don Coscarelli, and here we are. We're going to break down a director that I think, with the exception of the Beastmaster, never goes over 100 minutes. So he's very quick into Bubba the Hotep point. In there either. I'm sorry? Can't forget Bubba Hotep in there either. Oh, yes. I mean, I think, I think that might be his finest work um, overall. But uh, we'll get to that, I'm sure, as we break everything down. 
So uh, my introduction to him, I mean, I mean, the Beastmaster is on cable all the time, but you know, uh, that's a classic movie where most people think, how the heck did he get away with the PG in 1982? <laughs> I mean, I was always freaked out as a, as a little kid. Uh, oh, they're sacrificing little kids in this movie. Huh. Yeah, it was definitely one that uh, I, I remember seeing several times, but it, it was never it was never in one consecutive sitting. No, no, I've, no, I can't say that either. Uh, I know Mark Singer best from the uh, original V uh, television movie slash miniseries slash one season season uh, series. Uh, our classic, uh, the aliens are come in peace, but they're, I'm surprised that with uh, QAnon and everything, they haven't just been using that f- series to further pitch their reptilian concepts about. <laughs> I think that series, yeah, that series did have a, a revitalization back in like early 2010s, 2011, it looks like. I, yeah. Well. Oh, yeah. I've, I've watched the first few um, episodes while they were still on Tubi. Um, I mean, interesting cast morris chestnut alan tudyk um who is just the go-to when you need somebody alien it seems he's actually in a new show on sci-fi as well resident alien alien right right definitely the the go-to alien wonderful actor though oh yes i mean k2so from rogue one never mind firefly uh i think that honestly the the funniest role that i've ever seen was just the fact that he voices the chicken in Disney's Moana. I did not. Yeah. You know, well, I haven't seen Moana yet. I know he was the voice of uh, uh, King Candy in in uh, Wreck It Ralph. I knew he was. I think the voice of the uh, Rat Don or whatever it was in Zootopia. I mean, he's yeah, he's always, always giving something to Disney. The uh, the funniest part of that whole thing is that that very extremely minor spoilers for Moana here um, that chicken doesn't talk it just makes chicken noises yeah so, but well I mean Bill Hader I think it's Bill Hader and Will Arnett are the technically the voice of BB-8 so correct yeah uh, it was quite inter- entertaining to see him walk out of there and somebody had just snapped a picture and asked him about what he thought about voicing the chicken. And it was just him with his big old grin on his face. <laughs> I went to Juilliard. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, it never ceases to make me laugh. Well, I mean, probably the greatest uh, Alan Tudyk role, I think, would be um, Dale from Tucker and Dale. Oh, it's such a... Tucker and Dale is one of my favorite movies if I'm ever not feeling well or just having a bad day just to watch the I don't even know what to say it or how to say it the sheer bad luck of these two having to deal with all of these poor teenagers committing suicide on their land yes yeah we'll we'll leave it at that (laughs) (laughs) yet I think any movie that involves a wood chipper though oh the wood chipper is um I I just saying i'm thinking fargo um tucker and dale i know there's another wood chipper movie it's just not coming to mind but it's definitely not in a not an underused trope yes oh deadpool uh two 
Um, well, that's right at the very beginning of it with the uh, the X Force. Uh, yeah, with uh, yeah, Bill Skarsgård. <laughs> <laughs> Which, uh, I mean, that's. Uh, but I guess you know we're talking about horror, and I think uh, obviously Coscarelli uh, made his name on horror to begin with. And that brings us to my introduction for uh, Coscarelli, which was uh, the Phantasm series. Really, it's the uh, I mean, I, I flipping through channels, I always caught bits of Bubba Hotep, but that's probably more memorable for Bruce Campbell, honestly. It's probably his greatest role. I mean, of uh, of intended role, I guess. You know, obviously ash is his his synonymous yeah. synonymous you, you don't think of of even the origins of most modern horror movie what people, some people consider cliches now without bruce campbell coming up for the evil dead movies yes but uh again phantasm and i guess you could say that in the later phantasm films where they really start embracing a degree of uh slash stick <laughs> um so I guess you could say Phantasm being just such a, I mean, it is a nightmare. I mean, just captured on film. I, uh, I think that when you and I were initially talking about this this last week that I had brought up that like, I remember watching Phantasm and not realizing if it was something real or something that I had like a fever dream about when I was sick one day. Right, no, definitely not one to catch when you're little. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that can be said of all of his movies, though. Oh, well, I mean, when I'm watching, uh, so just to jump around, I guess, I did watch uh, John Dies at the End uh, <laughs> last night, and uh, it kind of just was like, I think this is what Yoga Hosers, which came afterwards mm -hmm. uh, from Kevin Smith, this is what he was really trying to capture. He just uh, kind of... Uh, wussed out with the uh, PG-13 rating, rating on his. And uh, John Dies at the End holds an extremely special place in my heart. Um, that The book itself, I, I used to work as a bookseller and it has given me an endless amount of friends and acquaintances and something to talk about. Um, funny enough for us, the reason I know you actually, if you trace the tree all the way back, uh, starts with John Dies at the End in the weirdest sort of way. Um, the place that we work at, I got the job there from a, a colleague, Tim Bates, who 10 years ago, I sold the book to uh. sold the copy of John Dies at the End. <laughs> and he remembered, um, <laughs> sorry, that's the little one outside of the door right now. Oh, no worries. Uh, I had sold him a copy of it and 10 years later, we ran into each other and he remembered me from that sale and recommended I apply for the job. Oh. So all things lead back to uh to John dies at the end. Yeah, it, uh, it's yeah, really. I mean, when you look at how that movie operates, I mean, it's definitely not very linear when you stop and really think about it. Which is the entire point, um, pretty much being the tele the the phone calls and eventually the brat calls. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much directing the narrative and you still don't know where it's going and <laughs> it's I mean, still it, in my opinion it's still one of the best pieces of of cosmic horror um a severely underutilized genre i think anymore that we get of just 
this massive overarching evil that doesn't doesn't care about us any more than ants but doesn't seem to come from this world either yeah uh, while at the same time being just a, a riotously fun movie to watch i mean there are times that my friends and i will still look at each other and just say that door cannot be opened mm-hmm. uh, out of nowhere or even the fact of the the character seeing other people um in different ways when they're both looking at them at the exact same time just that unsettling oh, that's yeah that that's that moment where they're talking about i think amber <laughs> yeah uh amber and shelly yes um and just for anybody else that does want to get into it the part that makes me so excited about that that movie as a uh jumping board for people is that the movie only contains approximately the first third of the first of three books oh i i could definitely you could definitely tell that um especially with how it ends it's kind of like it's a little abrupt the uh, ending of the film I yeah, it kind of makes you wonder what uh, with such a such depth to go into why. Uh, well, obviously, you could see from the budget. I mean, there's a little more green screen stuff than you you would tip. I mean, the last half of the movie is pretty much uh, well, last last act of the movie is uh, pretty much the horror version of the latter prequels, I guess, of Star Wars when it comes to effects. I would say. Agreed. Yeah. Well, I will say I do love the meat monster costume. That one's always a very fun that's, scene. That's that exactly right. where that's, that's okay. that immediately draw drew me from uh, Yoga Hosers, which I'd watched first. I'm a huge Kevin Smith fan. Mm-hmm. Actually had sure. some. Actually had somebody at work to at work today uh, pick up an order, and I uh, saw saw the name on his ID, and he, I said, "Yeah, I didn't look at your birthday, so I don't." So I don't know how hard your life was. <laughs> it was, not, it was a Ke- he's a Kevin Smith. So, and I, truthfully, I don't really know if you can really call Kevin Smith mainstream because I think his name is probably bigger than his products by this point. I would agree with that. Any, any more, it seems like if I talk to um, anybody of a younger generation, when I mentioned Kevin Smith, they either looked at me with a glazed look in their eye or they bring up a comic book men mm-hmm. more than you know Jay and Silent Bob. Yeah, or right. <laughs> yeah. Now I worked at a gas station, a truck stop for six years, and uh, everything except necrophilia happened at that truck stop uh, uh, and, to me. And so the one was probably just because nobody caught it. Well, I mean, nobody, well, the, my corpse, <laughs> the corpse issue was a guy who set himself on, uh, who, uh, committed suicide by flame. <laughs> so of all the ways to go, I, yeah. Um, yep. I mean, of course I made a comment that I needed a cigarette after I tried putting him out, <laughs> but, and that brings me to my creative writing. Uh, I guess I could plug main event of the dead, my, Z budget uh pro wrestling zombie screenplay I've been trying to sell for or <laughs> get people behind for the last uh 10, 11 years but um um I took, if, uh, if they can make zombievers into yes. an actual movie oh, right, no, you've, got, you've got a good chance there's a pro wrestling zombies it really just comes to, um that was released I think trauma picked up the distribution 
Uh, I can't say that I beat him to it. It's close. Um, and there was also a movie called, I think, Monster Brawl, where they, you know, pro- were question- daring people to sue him but with the monsters versus each other, like Frankenstein. And I didn't see it. I know Dave Foley is your biggest actor in it from the kids in the hall. Um, but uh, it's really, I've seen so many bad movies working on this. Uh, a lot of them from the Alley's accessory shop, uh, trash theater segments. <laughs> I throw on these podcasts. So a lot of it is really who, you know, I guess. Um, but I digress. That was just my way to throw it in, throw my, you know, email me rust the bus zero seven at Gmail. The dark web already has that email address. So I don't worry. Um, <laughs> uh, email me with ways to get that out of developmental hell, or if you just want a updated treatment of that. Um, but bringing, going back to Mr. Crispy, as I refer to the guy, um, I wrote that as my first creative writing when I returned the college assignment. Uh, wrote a story called Too Soon about it, which, you know, pretty is accurate about how that entire situation went with the guy setting himself on fire. And then I later down the road, I wasn't around for that. Somebody did get hit by a semi crossing the street to get it to get the Burger King, uh, I guess. I'm not going to lie. I, the way that that line that you just said was delivered, I really thought that was the punchline to a joke. Oh, well, it was the punchline to the story um, called Too Soon. Like, the basically, this guy has, the guy who's tried saving the guy's life, you know, is asked nothing but questions from other people about it. And eventually, his response is just make jokes about it. And people get behind him. It's a coping mechanism. And then I throw in the guy getting splattered by a semi trying to get to Burger King. And the character character says, I guess he just had to have it his way. <laughs> and, and nobody nobody in the gas station is responding to him. And there's the punchline. Too soon? So, I mean, com- com- t- comedy is nothing more than time plus tragedy, but um, my creative writing d- um, instructor gave me a B on it, and I can understand. I never really clean up my drafts enough. Um, for, you know, there's plenty of uh, grammar, spelling errors, what have you. But um, he wrote in the critique, death is never funny. So needless to say, I dropped that course. <laughs> yeah, you can't you can't fix that mindset. Yeah. I Anymore, mean, once you've been around enough of it, you either find a way to laugh at it or you find a way that it eats you, is the truth of it all. Right. You would probably know better than anybody on that. So, so okay. So lost. Um, oh, yeah. We were talking about Kevin Smith, and I was bringing up the meat monster, which came uh yoga hosers has the bratsies so that movie's about uh a lot of things but it's basically uh the dot uh kevin smith's daughter and johnny depp's daughter work at the a to z um sorry let me pronounce it correctly the a to z (laughs) 
uh, <laughs> convenience store in Winnipeg. And uh, after dealing with some high school Satanists, they end up having to take on Bratzies, which were the product of a mad sci- mad Nazi scientist who hid in Canada uh, to take over the world was basically clones of Hitler who are also brats. (laughs) Yeah. I, you know, a lot of people said, uh, well, Kevin Smith movie was lost the moment they, uh, I think it was um, JJ Abrams decided, okay, after this big star Wars force awakens uh, presser at comic-con San Diego, all right, and I'm going to treat you to a. Uh, you can stay here for Kevin Smith, or I can treat you for the, to the um, a uh, John Williams concert. <laughs> so not a people. A lot of people stuck around for uh, the Kevin Smith presser. I feel like, especially with these more campy tropes like that, they are getting more and more popular. Um, as you were talking about the yoga hosers premise, it reminded me of a crazy head off of Netflix. Um, really underrated show that of course Netflix knows that the hype from a new show is better than making the second season until it got cancelled uh, you see that's why I've recently cancelled Netflix I mean I just uh, I'm, a, I'm more of a movie guy obviously so like the only Netflix I mean I watched Tiger King who didn't Yeah. <laughs> um, but otherwise there's a lot of good stuff. I really wanted to get into love. It's just fourteen, you know, fourteen dollars a month. I'd rather just cancel it and get a Shutter subscription. Especially because now it's eighteen dollars a month. Ooh, okay. Well, I guess I was ahead of the curve on that one. But it definitely, uh, it, I definitely feel like Coscarelli had a huge play in getting the more. Uh, I think he called it slash stick earlier. Yes. Which you which you see a lot of in um, the la- the sequels to um, Phantasm. I mean, Phantasm is a damn near perfect horror movie. And you know, talking about J.J. Abrams, I mean, they inspired the name for uh, Captain Phasma yeah. and inspired the look. The, the solid chrome round edges. I, I don't know where they would have gotten that from Phantasm. Right. Right. So, and actually that's kind of what I was hoping for at the end of uh, John dies at the end when they, you know, another dimension is explored through a portal. I was hoping, oh no, that's the Jody orb from Phantasm. <laughs> that would have been perfect, especially when I thought the, uh, uh, the reveal about um, uh, Paul Giamatti's character. When you see that reveal, I thought for a moment the body in the uh, trunk was that of President Kennedy from Bubba Hotep. I could see that. Yeah. Actually, that would have been a, a really fun little crossover piece. I will say I did enjoy and I missed it up until actually rewatching it uh, this past week. That the the priest that Dave calls early on. Oh, Angus Angus freaking Scrim is Angus Scrim. Like I didn't even realize it until I caught the voice, and I was like, "Wait a second, <laughs> let's 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 face it, David. You're <laughs> we both know." Yes, 
Uh, it, it was funny because at that exact time that it was playing right before it clicked, I was talking to uh, to my fiance just going, man, I really just, I love the sound of this guy's voice, but I can't quite place it. And then there it goes. Oh, I mean, when it comes to voices, I mean, from John dies at the end, you just can't beat it. You have Clancy Brown, of course, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, hey, may, you know, I guess all the years of voice acting, uh, which I think all started primarily from Mr. Krabs. <laughs> uh, you kind of, I kind of wish he would have had that back for Highlander, a little, little bit of accent work. <laughs> it's never, never a bad thing to become a little more developed. Yes. Uh, which I've had this argument at uh, the bank I work at, um, somebody it was basically about um i'm I'm bringing it back to highlander if you watch the uh, cohen's brothers movie um shoot hail caesar uh george clooney is probably the biggest name in it but josh brolin is in it. it's a comedy scarlett johansson channing tatum i mean everybody's in it um including clancy brown and then you have christopher lambert as a in the movie as well and i just i loved it because it's a lot of inside hollywood bs and such um i have a co-worker who said oh that's the only movie i've walked out on it's like oh geez i don't think you get the coens then um but uh it's so i but i i stand by if you have christopher lambert and clancy brown in the movie you have gold yeah, I can definitely, uh, everything that I run through my head and I think of with Clancy Brown. Um, can't think of anything in the recent days that I've uh, not enjoyed. Uh, another Netflix one that comes to mind with the, the Coen brothers, the, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Mm-hmm. Um, just that one short chunk of it that he's in is still one of the, the funniest little shorts I've seen in a while. Oh, and now you're making me regret canceling my Netflix. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, ladies, I'm single. I'm looking for a password. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see if I can throw you mine at some time. It's not like I'm not sharing enough. Yeah, and uh, it's total BS what Netflix is trying to pull off because it's like, yeah, all it takes is texting a friend, a reliable friend, and you beat the security. But I digress. So um, it's it's just such a, I mean, really polar opposites when you start at Phantasm and then get to John Dies at the end. I mean, you have a, a nightmare and then you have a movie that's pretty much, I mean, I think I put it in my notes as I'm watching uh, John Dies at the end that Man, I kind of wish I had dreams like this. <laughs> <laughs> the soy sauce dreams. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, it's very difficult to describe John. John dies at the end. Um, and, you know, we'll get back to Phantasm, obviously. I mean, that's half of the roster we're going to talk about. Yeah. Um, but with, um, so John dies at the end. Basically, our lead character, Dave is about to try to expose soy sauce and has a feature report interview being interviewed by a feature reporter um, for a newspaper played by Paul Giamatti, who also was a producer on the movie. 
Not sure how they swung that, but boy, am I glad they did. Yes. So basically, soy sauce, I guess you would say, lets you look. It, it's not linear time by any stakes, um, but it does let you have a peak or at least access to parallel dimensions. Um, I mean, that's what I got from the movie. I mean, going through it a couple of times, the best description that I ever saw of it um, is that it takes your deductive reasoning to levels beyond like a, a deity. Where when you look at something, if you look at a scratched up water bottle, you can think, okay, something happened to the water bottle. If you go one level further, you can look at how the scratches are and figure out probably what caused them. But it's taking that to a whole new degree of like when Arnie walks into the store, by the way that he walks and the sound of the way his pocket rubs, he knows exactly how much changes in his pocket, what denominations, what years the coins were made. Mm -hmm. And it, it, you can't look into the future exactly. Right. I mean, you, you can receive calls from the future. <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> yeah. But, um, and never mind the fact the, um, I mean, the, the Paul Giamatti reveal is basically darn near insanity. I mean, I, that's really all I can say because it kind of spoil might spoil the movie. <laughs> yeah, um, it, it it's one of those things where there's certain deliveries of that line where things click, and it, it kind of for me cemented as well the fact of like Dave when we meet him in there, it's not really his first rodeo. Like no. he takes all of this in stride at this point, and it cements just this weird sort of. I don't know. I, I almost want to call it like Trailer Park X Files. Oh well, I mean, we get there. I mean, never mind the. I mean, I guess you could say because uh, I don't think I didn't think Amazon was killing everything in 2012. But uh, when you bring the story to the Mall of the Dead, as they <laughs> called it, I, I always kind of laugh uh, in the book where he ships himself the package and it arrives at the mall. Yeah. The, uh, one of our antagonists in this film, uh, Shitload, of course, that being the, the actual character's name. Name, yes. Uh, just reaches inside the box and pulls out a microwave burrito. <laughs> um, the whole John dies at the end universe, um, especially that first portion of the first book, for me, it's always walked this beautiful razor of at the same time that I'm reading it and I'm just heavily unsettled by these little details that are out of place. I'm laughing because I'm watching a dude get punched in the balls 36 times or talk to a bratwurst. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like um, Lovecraft with a sense of humor. Yeah, I, I would absolutely agree with that. Um, especially again, leaning back to the whole the, the cosmic horror genre. I mean, you can't say cosmic horror without thinking of Lovecraft. Right. And so, uh, I mean, I've dedicated a lot of time to this podcast for Stuart Gordon's stuff. So uh, director is, of Reanimator from Beyond. This is uh, Lovecraft's frat boy years at best. Yes. Yes. Maybe it was a little less racist. I mean, <laughs> at that time, I hope. 
Who would have thought the guy that wrote about being scared of things that was different than him was racist? <laughs> yeah. Um, with that said, Lovecraft Country, I did watch. I've watched a few episodes of that. And it's uh, pretty, pretty interesting. And I think a great, I mean, HBO has been knocking it out of the park when it comes to uh, reimagining and basically trying to, I don't want to say correct, but basically, you know, giving a little bit of a woke edge to everything. And they're doing it well. I mean, I loved Watchmen, so. I mean, that definite combination in Lovecraft Country of like the, hey, let's take the xenophobia and apply it to what it actually was, racism. Yes. Uh, (laughs) It's like mixing milk and dark chocolate together. Sometimes the the whole of it is better than the sum of its parts. Right. Yeah. Precisely. Which makes me think back to, did Lovecraft, well, I know from beyond... Uh, the Stuart Gordon movie is not, uh, not, so, not really Lovecraft. I mean, neither is really uh, Reanimator. It's basically uh, Gordon took the premises, adapted those very well, and then just expanded upon them, um, and just always seemed to knock it out of the park. So, uh, but I was about to say, well, he did. Like they're really the, I don't know I really got to go and watch some older horror movies. Once we started integrating our horror movies, I don't think there were any black people killed in Black Christmas or Halloween, mm-hmm. but uh, I know, and definitely not the first Friday the Thirteenth, nor um, Nightmare on Elm Street. So I guess I've covered all the big franchises. Uh, from beyond brings in uh the i can't remember his name he was um pro- the one of the protagonists in george a romero's dawn of the dead the black guy <laughs> i'm sorry i uh with that being said i should say apologies to michelle wolf after i screwed up uh ginger comic best of the trump era uh <laughs> Yeah. So, um, an apo- I'll, I'll throw an apologies probably in the um, it's in the intro to this episode <laughs> to that actor. Um, but you know, huh? Of all the characters to kill, we're gonna kill the black guy. I mean, that was a, a big enough problem. I would say in late '80s through the uh, early well, early 2000s that they made up. Why started- else did you cast Samuel L. Jackson? Uh, <laughs> <to start laughs> Well, he's tired of reptiles on his aircraft. Well, yes, but I'm saying uh, you look at it, he gets eaten by the shark in um, Deep Blue Sea. He gets eaten by the raptor in Jurassic Park. So, I mean, he was your go-to black guy to kill in a horror movie. Uh, first guy to die kind of thing including uh goodfellas he's the first guy of the crew <laughs> you know funny enough i was also thinking about uh oh no i'm confusing with uh lawrence fishburne i was thinking of event horizon as well well he gets through well i'm sorry well uh, well nobody really comes out of event horizon unscathed <laughs> i'll just say that uh i think this it, i'm sorry 
You want to talk about criminally underrated cosmic horror? I love it. Oh, yes. Uh, and imagine that that would qualify for 90 for chill. And then you stop and imagine that, you know, they edited the hell out of that movie. And that's, that's one thing I've always been so sad since I learned that there is no longer a director's code lost in a fire. Yeah. I mean, we could go into Paul W.S. Anderson in an episode. I mean, with the exception of two of the Resident Evil movies, his movies again, qualify, (laughs) Um, which honestly, it's the best and the worst of the Resident Evil movies that don't qualify, but. I digress. Um, yeah, it's. I think uh, when you when you bring up Event Horizon, I think that was pretty much the biggest cosmic. I mean, biggest cosmic horror ever, and it's underrated. It didn't make money, <laughs> but I mean, it was a VHS phenomenon. Yeah. So even now, it's it's gotten really big. Yeah, it's. I've, uh, as a side note for it, I've definitely seen um, quite a bit of, um, I guess, echoes of it in more in more modern media. Uh, I'm a big fan of a video game called Destiny, and in a current mission, you're navigating a ship that basically blipped out of reality into another dimension, and the whole crew is lost. Ah. I wonder where I've heard that before. Well, I bought Destiny. I haven't opened Destiny 2. I mean, uh, but I know if I see a $10 video game at our place of work, Mm -hmm. which listen to earlier episodes, you know where we work, but hey, (laughs) I let that slip. Um, But um, I mean, it's kind of uh, shoot kind of lost my place well it's just weird when it comes to paul ws anderson because then his uh next his follow-up to uh event horizon well was the first mortal Kombat, which i think is still a pretty good movie just try to watch it on a crt <laughs> you really see all the flaws the special effects on on 4k um and i and another movie like that and it's not really a flaw with the special effects it's just how intense the colors were was the crow hdr does not uh, does not do it with justice because everything seems so out of place your deeper blacks and your deeper whites <laughs> um, very much a movie that was built on its contrast level available at the time yes but uh Getting back to Anderson, his uh, follow-up to Mortal Kombat was Soldier, and which is underrated, I think. I, I will watch it whenever it's on. <laughs> I'll I'll wait till it's four ninety nine on Hulu. Or, I mean on Vudu or iTunes. But that movie's tied to the. It it basically tied itself to the Blade Runner universe, <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean every. I mean, you're almost like going back to how I wish like the big orb that leads to another direction at the end of John dies at the end uh, was like, oh, go phantasm because it seems like everything's connected. And when you get back to Lovecraft, uh, I was checking somebody out 
out who brought the remake of Castle Freak, which was another Stuart Gordon movie. Excellent Stuart Gordon movie. Uh, the guy manages to make art out of being stuck with made for video for four by three. Um, and he was saying, oh, this is a uh, Shudder's planned uh, Lovecraftian universe. Because I guess they introduced Herbert West in that movie as well. So, um, so. Honey, please successfully make a uh, like a large horror-based universe of just multiple things at some point. Yeah. I feel like Universal's tried to do it. A couple other places have tried to do it. Yeah, I mean, well, it all it all started with Freddy versus Jason when uh, that was pretty much um, New Line getting securing the light rights to Friday the Thirteenth, which they obviously New Line was the house that Freddy Krueger built, so that was just natural. And the plan was to bring Ash into that, and then I think it was supposed to be Hellraiser after that. <laughs> I can't tell you how much money I would give to see Ash versus Freddy. Yeah. I've, but, uh, I mean, there's just so many different uh, properties. I mean, I'd have to go back and look uh, where Hellraiser fits in. But I know uh, Dino De Laurentiis, um, his uh, empire, obviously he's not around anymore. They are very, they, they don't have whenever they got content they secured the hell out of it <laughs> so i mean even uh even universal tried to do the whole shared multiverse um right they, like the the mummy films with brendan frazier yeah um, tried to, to do a relaunch with the mummy film with uh tom cruise right and i know they introduced uh dr jekyll in that one which reminds me i was watching uh, bits of virtuosity last night <laughs> I didn't know if you were going to lean towards that or uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen was popping up in my head as well right there. Oh, man. Movie that that is a movie that definitely HD murdered. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was, I thought it was fun. I mean, it was very flawed. I don't, but. It's fun to watch. Just don't, you know, don't look at the gaps. <laughs> oh, yeah. But I'm saying when she, once you put it in, uh, at, at 1080 I mean at 720p it just falls up <laughs> the direction falls apart I mean this is the guy who did Blade and he screwed the original Blade and like one of my favorite comic book movies I think we were doing a Marvel at, at the bank we had a um, alright all the Marvel movies in a tournament and on my bracket, I think it ended with Logan versus Blade. Logan gets W, but um, so it's a very. I think it's it's especially. I mean, we're still hoping. I know Coscarelli's working on, uh, Baba Hotep versus Nosferatu, and his maidens. <laughs> which I guess kind of tough with the ending, but I mean, the entire premise of Bubba Hotep is Elvis never dying. So <laughs> that's true. 
but uh, it just really I stopped to think about it because as I say I am the the last really horrific thing I saw from uh, Coscarelli was his Masters of Horror episode Um, I cannot recall the name of it Angus Scrim shows up in it which I think we could probably cover his entire Scrim's entire filmography (laughs) by the end of this podcast um it's just that and i think you could see say the same thing with the uh sam raimi it's just that once he establishes everything he's fine with joking about it and which really i think makes john dies at the end uh so great is because it's like the perfection of him just not not taking himself too seriously. That's a that's that's that series in a nutshell. Um, which you know, I I can't say that I would expect them to take themselves seriously, given that the author was originally one of the writers for Cracked. Yeah, well, I'm so sur- kind of surprised that you got such a quality product then, because Cracked wasn't really was such a poor knockoff of mad magazine until the yeah. internet came along and crack.com is like got some of the funniest stuff out there. Um, I guess with the John dies in the end, I don't know if I needed the cartoon sequence, I guess is my with the spiders. Yes. Uh, oh boy, that uh, that you say that it just reminds me of in, in our world he practiced bestiology. Oh yeah, oh yeah, they've been practicing. That's been a big thing in the South. <laughs> the the character of John um, early on in the movie, he says, you know, people always say lines like, "I never thought this person would be the one in the world," but with John, we were all pretty sure it was and. That's the best description of his character that I've heard of. Yes. Uh, later books becomes a really cool example of the uh, unreliable narrator. Mm-hmm. Um, as he goes through like the viewpoints in his eyes or how he's retelling it to Dave and it's just all like dick punches and martial arts the whole time. <laughs> yeah, it's... Um... Yeah, it's a, as I say, it's just a really kind of a con, I mean, the contrast uh, when you bring, I mean, you bookend Coscarelli's career. Not to say that there's a lot of genuine, scary stuff in Bubba Hotep, because there really isn't. I mean, it's all, it, I mean, it's a story about Elvis pretty much. Yeah. I mean, it's not. It's not suspenseful. No, it's it's more about Elvis and Kennedy and how, you know, just making some personal decisions. I at least in Elvis's case, uh, Kennedy not so lucky with his new disguise. <laughs> they dyed me this color. <laughs> oh, Twinkie, Ding Dong. <laughs> Well, not my ding dog, a chocolate ding dog. <laughs> yes. And again, I had supposed. Oh man, the dialogue in that movie is 
is clearly the icing on the ding dong at this point. Yes. Uh, there are so many memorable lines from Boba Hotep. Um, between just Bruce Campbell talking in that that thick Elvis accent the entire time to Ozzy Davis's wonderful uh, black JFK and thinking with band. Yeah, and uh, I appreciate they work Reggie. Ban- we Reggie Bannister was still in the uh, Coscarelli universe. That was a disappointing thing about. Uh, um. John dies at the end is we didn't have Reggie Bannister. Yeah. Um, I mean, Reggie eventually becomes the protagonist in uh, the Phantasm series, which I guess you would say might be the shows you how flawed a series is if the ice cream man <laughs> becomes your primary focus. <laughs> uh, so when it comes to Phantasm, you had the first film, which is, as I say, you really have to be aware that you're watching a movie to not leave screwed up. Um, yeah, it's just, as I say, I wish I had the night, the dreams that you get in uh, described like Arnie's dream in uh, John dies at the end, just like, I mean, no, I don't want to have mom chasing me with a whip made of penises. But I wish I had that my subconscious had that imagination. The scene, you bring up the dream sequences in that that movie. And of course, the early on one where you've got the the very clearly fake Jamaican... Um, yes. the, the overblown accent, Robert Marley. Marley. <laughs> yes. Interpret dreams for be a man. Uh, and that the worst thing is what I just did is even a stereotypical accent. That's actually what that character sounds like. Well, <laughs> well I mean, they you know when they describe the character though too, you know, you mm-hmm. see in the subtitles because I don't want to miss a thing. I do watch all the I do watch most of my stuff with subtitles on. Um just the you see in parentheses jamaican accent like when dave's describing him like um but just talking about like when we again we lean to the the generally unsettling parts he goes through dave's dream of him coming home and seeing his ex-girlfriend with this this big old pile of dynamite and a cartoon plunger there yep Right as she presses it, the thunder claps outside and wakes him from the dream and him just looking at him with this overblown accent and still managing to throw that little shiver down your spine of, hey, how did your brain know when the lightning was going to come? How did it start the dream exactly 30 seconds before? Yeah, it's, I mean, you have, I mean, that's that's the real cosmic horror. I mean, the the brilliance of the horror and John dies at the end. It's like, you stop and it stops and makes you think. And the moment you start thinking, everything becomes horrific. We'll, uh, we'll lean out of the film a little bit here just to establish the scene that cemented the series for me. Okay. Um, in the book, in uh, the, the second act of the three in the first book, they, in Las Vegas, have a what we would just refer to as a major encounter um, involving Korok, the the main antagonist of the film. Um, 
the the book and the film made very very different different oh, movies. Obviously. Um and one of the substances that they're dealing with is this black liquid that it it removes you from history. It unmakes you. So it doesn't just kill you. It doesn't just prevent you from moving to whatever afterlife of your choosing. It is you were never born. Your parents may not have been born. Somewhere in your past an action was taken to where you never existed. And they go through that and all five of the people uh, make it out. None of them get hit with this liquid and removed. But we go on to later on down the road and six months later they've all kind of kept in touch and they're sitting around a bonfire and it's that that magical hour like three o'clock in the morning where if you've never sat around a glass coffee table or a glass like patio table in the midwest and have like a three o'clock conversation with your friend you may not know the feeling of it but they all start telling stories about todd i think was the the name in like the gradual undertone of all of them telling these stories is that you realize that there were never just five of them. There were six and one guy didn't make it out. Oh, yeah. And you're like rereading it back later. You're like, wait a second, you're flipping back like a hundred pages and realizing like, yeah, that doesn't add up. He couldn't have been carrying both of these things at once. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just that feeling of like, we lost somebody and we can't even mourn their passing. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I've yeah. never really, I've never really gotten to explore that, explore that concept in a straight up horror uh, genre. I'm more familiar with my Red Dwarf, um, constant time, time fudging yes. stories. Very, very similar. Yeah, um, how they, how they explain what happens. Or like I said, usually this, this group would have gone back and tweaked one of the events that led to that individual's birth to prevent it from occurring. Mm-hmm. Um, so very similar to like time travel shenanigans. Yes. Yep. So, I mean, Red Dwarf, they would pretty much have a moment where they like go through a time bubble and it's like, well, in this, um, in this uh, dimension, the cat never existed. Who never existed? I don't know. We just know we're missing somebody. And Cat is present during this. No, I'm here, buddies. Come on. <laughs> kind of like trying to me and they escape the time bubble. And then it's like, oh. <laughs> trying to reconstruct something from the hole that it's left behind. Yes. Yep. So always recommend Red Dwarf, British um, science fiction comedy. Uh, they've been, it started in 1988 and uh, They've had, I guess you'd say, uh, the ninth season was a miniseries. Uh, the 13th season was a miniseries. So 11 seasons over a span of 25, almost 25 years, uh, 35 years now. Um, but uh, basically a universe where the there's only one human left because he was safely secured in the in suspended animation when a meltdown occurred on his spaceship oh okay so he's woken three million years in the future when the radiation levels are finally safe on the ship so he's the only person alive the computer decides to reanimate his obnoxious bump 
bunkmate is a hologram. Uh, because, well, you've had the most conversations with this gentleman. You've shared 37,000 words with them. Yeah, 30. We're good. Yeah, 13, uh, 17,000 of those words were me telling him to smeg off. The other half was him writing me up for telling him to smeg off. (laughs) Uh, And the cat who the main character went into span of an animation for because it was an unquarantined animal, which he refused to give up, um, was safely secured in the hull of the ship. And I mean, it, it takes a few, se- it takes an entire season to figure out what happened with this, but basically the cats created their own civilization in the non-radiated sections of the ship and evolved into Felis sapiens. <laughs> And then they basically come across a mechanoid who was waiting, was so dedicated to his service of others, he pretty much just became Norman Bates, (laughs) Bates as a, not in the homicidal sense, but, you know, not to spoil Psycho, but, uh, you know, keeping up the, structure of mother (laughs) i was gonna say as far as spoilers regarding psycho i think that we've uh we've cleaned the the two-week waiting period for spoilers i i would say that but you know we're trying to not to say you can really spoil a movie like john dies at the end because (laughs) because of its nature um (laughs) you could say that uh i mean really all the all the only thing that you'd definitely be spoiling is the paul giamatti uh, story that's a huge huge chunk uh that, that i adored yeah it's the perennial frustration of mine that anytime i describe this this film or this book to somebody they think they're the funniest people in the world to look at me and go well does he die at the end oh <laughs> go watch it yes <laughs> find out i want to spoon feed you all the answers to this i mean right keep a purpose and, you know, technically, the entire basis of the realities and such, it, he technically, yeah. <laughs> I guess. It's not wrong. <laughs> Especially with the uh, the whole ship of Theseus uh, coming up again in pop culture with uh, WandaVision. Oh, yeah. This comes into question several times throughout the series. Yeah, I am. They really know how to sell me on seeing Doctor Strange too. <laughs> I was, I, I went through Wandavision. Um, I did, did thoroughly enjoy it, um, even up to the last episode because I was hoping that I was hoping that there would be some more payoff. But I don't think it was bad by any means. No, no, it's they just did so much teasing. I think is the problem with it. Yeah, there was. Uh, there was a, a statement that came to mind that would not have been appropriate to the podcast. Uh, <laughs> but either way, I, I, I loved how they they handled everything with uh, Agnes. Yes. Um, was thoroughly excited to hear that there are talks uh, with Marvel about Keanu Reeves possibly playing Ghost Rider. Oh. 
Um, there's been rumors of that for a while, and I, I for one, am extremely hopeful for that. That would be lovely, in my opinion. Yeah. No. Well, just getting Keanu Reeves into the universe. I mean, I think he's the he's, the only fear with Keanu Reeves is he's become such a treasure. <laughs> it's true. Um, we put him on such a pedestal that if he ever does fall, it's a long drop. Yeah. But for the characters that I could see him potentially playing in the the MCU, Ghost Rider is the kind of like stoic anti-hero. It's I feel like it would very much be his second Constantine. Right. Except he wouldn't, you know, wouldn't uh, worry about the accent issues. <laughs> we don't talk about that. <laughs> Um, and of course, there's a supposed sequel to Constantine coming out from the premiere. Yeah. I mean, I'm interested. Constantine was, I mean, that was back before we knew how, still knew how to make comic book movies. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, if Constantine, really, Constantine of course, was a, on release, it was a failure. But if you released that same exact movie today, shot for shot, I think it'd be a hit. Uh, I don't know about, well, I don't know about that. Um, I will say that um, I think ah, you see, I don't know about that because we have great comic book movies now. I mean, sure. with uh, Constantine, just I get, I think it really comes down to that you have to. I think a lot of it is that audience are we? Ref- I mean, after. I guess I guess it's just basically after Iron Man, after the MCU was established, mm-hmm. comic book fans really couldn't argue with what the decisions they were being made. I don't think you can really get too angry at anything they've done in the MCU. Um, and of course, the DC Extended Universe, their mistakes is that they de- may, may have embraced... I, I think they needed to um think about the broad audience to begin with and then you go and you know once you sell them on it once you give them a taste then you go and i i don't know but perhaps with the dc i think you're on the right track with the decu being so so dark when it started which i loved i mean when it comes to comic books i think dc still outdoes marvel i think at least in narrative standpoints i'm a a much bigger fan of of, like we said of constantine than i am most other heroes i'm well i'm just a big neil gaiman fan i mean sandman was excellent man i'm trying to get through the last season the most recent season of american gods right now i'm working on that too yeah we'll talk about that on another podcast right Uh, that's like i had to i had to get uh stars to watch the fly for uh well i mean i was going to subscribe to watch american gods because i've been i've watched the first two seasons but that was my excuse oh i'll i'll do it for the uh because i have to watch the fly (laughs) for the jeff goldblum podcast i did so i mean honestly that that's i think that's the best description that you have to find that nice middle ground where you have to be loyal to the comics unlike say constantine tank girl 
when it comes to the realms they exist in. But you can't be too much like the comics or, I mean, I know American Gods is a novel. Um, because you alienate people that aren't. Yeah, nobody, nobody wanted the three minutes of uh, gay Muslim sex. Yeah. I, I mean, I understand it. I don't know if you should have, I don't know if they could have kept, they should have cut away at some point, but hey, <laughs> or even def- definitely like, something yeah. you're not going to be able to sell to a xenophobic yeah. society anyhow. <laughs> Shifting it to a lighter tone as far as like that goes, even the, like the character of Sweeney. Oh yeah. Sweeney in the books is completely isolated to like the first half of the first arc. Mm-hmm we're still going into this two like i said i haven't gotten uh into the third season almost at all i need to give it a watch when i'm not you know half conscious yeah um only about maybe four or five episodes into the third season now okay my my knowledge goes up to the start of the first season where of course or the third season rather or of course a major figure in the last two whereas he was a, a throwaway character in the novel which is even sitting on my nightstand here well, I mean, it may have been a may have just been a great casting of uh, Pablo Shriver, Shriver. He's a he's a very versatile actor. Well, I mean, you know, every I I don't know anybody who really dislikes um, Den of Thieves. I uh, I was kind of laughing when we first sat down to watch it. My uh, my fiance decided to watch the show with me because she recognized him as a porn stash from orange is the new black black yeah yeah and, i mean fun comparison between the two characters yes quite a bit um i think uh let's see so we've addressed bella hotep we've gone very deep into uh john dies at the end <laughs> sorry uh, no problem it, it, i mean it it's really tough to i think I think it's kind of tough to really describe Phantasm. Um, I mean, your your villain's just called the Tall Man, um, and it's you know it's basically an Undertaker who's like they really expand on it in the sequels, but who's reanimated reanimating. Um corpses some of it goes into creating killer silver orbs which i think after you watch phantasm eh, you're a little paranoid of them <laughs> talking of we mentioned a little bit earlier like when i was or i think when we were talking about uh the evil dead these echoes of things that have kind of no it's when we were talking about event horizon these echoes of things that have popped up in pop culture now um even seeing like a person taking bodies, harvesting them and changing them pops up uh, in like the Cirque du Freak series. Okay. That pops up. The The silver death orbs popped up even in something as mainstream as Doctor Who. Oh. Tenants era with the, uh, the Toclophane, mm-hmm. um, which were even, even further, like we said here, they're uh, what I'm looking for modify humans yeah i mean yeah. well you could say that was the daleks but yeah I'm really i'm really not by any means a dr hugh expert my older sister with asperger's disorder 
um, just got obsessed with the Tom Baker era. <laughs> so, Baker was wonderful. Uh, I was more of a Peter Davidson, not Pete Davidson, but (laughs) seeing the the echoes of those like major concepts from the shows still popping up, you know, does kind of cement that Phantasm. It may not be on people's big list of like their go to things, but it had an it had a huge impact. I think. Oh no! It's it's most definitely as as I say, it's more of like it's really the first the first Phantasm really just the imagery brought i mean maybe even trump the narrative i think i mean and then you stop i sent a tweet out in a facebook post basically saying uh well not basically saying it said uh angus scrim should have ended the undertaker's wrestlemania streak (laughs) i saw that yeah and like oh He, he i think he was i think he i think he would have been around to do that to take her <laughs> he did he died in i think 2016 i think when they were putting ravager together um i guess the sequels to to phantasm which really create a narrative i think i think that's the i don't know if that's a fault of the you know the fault of the sequels like again phantasm being such a nightmare i mean it is a nightmare and it's one that I think everybody kind of can have the, I mean, and, and just the dichotomy of little Michael and the tall man, just, just, you know, you know, you're being stalked by a monster who's not really a monster until you really get into it. And it's, it kind of, a. Uh... Stephen King wrote in uh, Dance Macabre um, a book that he wrote about writing horror that there's this thing with audiences that that fear of the unknown where you hear a knocking on the door and you think to yourself, you know, maybe it's a a 10 foot bug, right? And then you open the door and it it is a 10 foot bug and those fears are confirmed, but you also kind of get this, this sense of relief that, oh, well, you know, at least it's not a hundred foot bug (laughs) yeah yeah i feel like that was something that they did with the tall man with that that perpetual suspense of the you know what the hell is going on here with him kind of thing that the motives were shrouded we didn't really know what was happening there um and then when we do get those points of clarity it almost leaves leaves us with more questions yes and um ravager i liked but i definitely know like yeah, we're I maybe we're trying to create too many questions just to satisfy the fans really wanting a true conclusion. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't get a chance to rewatch that um, in prep for this, but I watched. Um, I, it wasn't too long ago since I watched two and three. I watched, and I, that's when it starts becoming more about Reggie uh, trying to of just being a. Uh, really likable character i mean an ice cream man who drives a hemi cuda with a quad barrel shotgun i this is this is basically what ash would have been at some point um maybe i don't know maybe that's really the trick for the keep the series going if only we still were getting ash versus evil dead but that's an entire licensing 
nightmare. Because <laughs> I know they couldn't reference in Ash versus Evil Dead, they couldn't reference Army of Darkness because, again, Dino De Laurentiis <laughs> was the uh, primary primary source behind Army of Darkness, and he just won't share his stuff. <laughs> um, Looking forward to the the expansion of the uh, the Evil Dead universe. Yeah, I mean, I love the remake, and I'll, I mean, I'll, the reimagining, I should say. <laughs> Um, just had enough tongue-in-cheek stuff. I mean, you. I guess you kind of have to be a sick little puppy to enjoy, <laughs> to find. You know, to. I think a lot. I think basically, it's either gonna the Evil Dead remake is either gonna scare the hell out of somebody who's not familiar with horror, really a fan of the genre. Otherwise, the audience is looking for the tongue-in-cheek humor. One of my uh, my favorite memories involving the Evil Dead that <laughs> my uh, my fiance was not was not a huge horror aficionado before she she met me. Right? Uh, no, nor nor was uh, Hallie. Uh, she was a uh, like she. I don't know how she got into the Aliens franchise, but when we were in a C two E two, we got to watch all the f- the um, short films that. 20th century fox made for the 40th anniversary and like oh totally dig alien (laughs) um i decided that i wanted to show her uh the evil dead because she had never seen it and of course we had actually found the that they had the original uh nc-17 cut Mm -hmm. uh, streaming so we're watching it and of course there's the uh um i keep saying um and it's making me really self-conscious there weird there's of course the uh, the Kandash demon. Is that what I'm thinking of the name of? Um, it sounds about right. Either way, the the classic camera on rails moving through the fog. Yeah, it's that first person camera angle as it zooms like towards the the cabin, of course. And she she kind of gave me this look of. Um, knowing that I, I usually call out cliches and brings up, you know, why, how can I like this when that's such a cliche thing? And it, it just kind of clicked that she didn't realize that was the origin of the cliche. Yes. I, Sam Raimi, I hear great things about um, Drag Me to Hell, but I can't really say taking the time to watch anything of his since Spider Man. Um, but yeah, he's pretty, I mean, even Darkman, you know, he's pretty much introduced so much stuff. It's, I mean, he can rest his laurels on that. It's, he's an innovator. There's no question about that. Which is funny when you take in the mind that is, you know, production assistant. I mean, I can't remember their exact roles, but the Coen brothers were tied to Raimi mm-hmm. to start. So... I mean, it's uh, everything's connected. I mean, it is. Uh, I mean, I guess that's that's my philosophy on life about being. Uh, um, basically, I think every soul still exists. There's that's not necessarily heaven and hell, but uh, I don't know when I die. I don't know. I don't remember being born. I don't know when I die. When I'll die. If I'll know if I'm dead, type thing. <laughs> 
and that everything is uh, kind of just together. So, all right. So that is uh, definitely a common thread too that I can see with with Coscarelli's work is this. I, of all the movies that we've mentioned between uh, John Dies at the End, Bubba Hotep, uh, Phantasm, there's always this concept of what happens if you interrupt a soul as assets, or can you affect something after death, I think can be a common thread between. Right. And that that's really apparent when they originally tried to conclude the Phantasm movie at the fourth film, which a lot of it I, I read the story on this like they were able to get civil war they paid they donated two hundred dollars to uh civil war reenactors to uh get a get a little flashback sequence <laughs> um and a lot of it and it really makes you wonder geez how with um phantasm which was originally rated r because i mean rated x because of the um some of the gore like the gore catches you off guard it's not really that horrific movie but the detail they put into the gore like oh it's it can't be an r-rated movie if somebody who gets his head skewered by a orb and blood <laughs> squirting out if he oh if his body releases his bowels <laughs> uh nope that that can't be r-rated um you tend to frown on things like that ever so slightly. Yeah, well, I mean, that's like the only time I've ever really seen anything censored on South Park is when they're showing it before prime time. The episode with Walmart and Cartman's obsession with, oh, when you die, you shit yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about the episode. Yeah, and he's just having a ball whenever somebody commits suicide. <laughs> And you see a black screen saying, and this is where the body defecates. <laughs> um, but it, but the fact of the matter is the fourth film, besides for that, is so much footage that wasn't featured in the original Phantasm movie. And they just create a narrative to pin it all together. And But at the conclusion of the movie, um, it basically is like, okay did we lose <laughs> did the tall man win can reggie come up with a new way of saving the day <laughs> and you quantify a victory here yes precisely and the fifth film is all like really dives into that because the premise is that oh um uh, no none of this is like reggie doesn't know if he's just if he basically has come to the point where he does he have Alzheimer's or dementia? And so did any of this really happen to him? And he keeps having to jump back from reality to a possible reality to um, a dream within that possible reality. Um, but I think what can be said to conclude is that Coscarelli's fans are totally dedicated to the man um because i mean the the sequels he gets are solely funded pretty much by his audience and they're pretty much solely for his audience um so i guess that kind of scares me what would happen what if you had sequels to uh john dies at the end yeah, I was gonna say there's nine or there's a uh, eight more 
parts of the books that like I, I I'll start throwing money at a screen. Oh yeah, and but you know Coscarelli will de- will deliver upon it. He will give you something you will pay for. Yeah. I guess now, like I was kind of afraid that, you know, John John dies at the the John dies at the end universe far greater than I do, obviously. Uh, but you know, I I was kind of fearing that. Oh well, Coscarelli could kind of take it take it in his own direction, and maybe it would be lost. But I, uh, you know, I had that same fear. Um, way back when I heard that they were turning it into into a, a film, because of course, anytime that you hear that, you know, your favorite book of all time is getting turned into a film, it's going to go one of two ways. It's going to polarize. Um, but he did extremely well, in my opinion. Um, some characters were cut, but the absences weren't noticed um, to a degree that it would affect the story. And it wound up uh, even impacting how the later books, I feel, were written. Oh, okay. I didn't know the books were written after the movie. Uh, the second and third one were. Oh, right. So, so it worked. Uh, it worked out pretty well um, across the board. I feel that personally, he did a, a a phenomenal job. The ending, like I said, of course, there were some changes that could have been made if we knew that it was getting sequels. But I don't think that there's any intention of that at this point in time. No, so, no. Yeah, when you, I think it was necessary. Well, that's, and I think that really just says the beauty of my concept for 90 for chill is like, if you have something, just do it great. I'm not saying, you know, and um, not, not don't think about the franchise, just do what you got right. And a lot of the time, like, I think that's a big thing with, uh, most of your franchises now is that, oh, we have to sit through uh, so much origin and stuff because we're no, you know, they're going to do a sequel. Yeah. And like, I guess when John dies at the end, it's like, Hey, there's no promise of a sequel. Come on. Let's, let's be real. How many people have actually read the books? <laughs> I mean, obviously millions, but when you're dealing in this country of, 325 million that's still less than a single person right but i'm just saying it's more the more the idea that yeah there's definitely an audience for it but how much is it going to cost you profit profit margin wise Mm -hmm. like there's a reason why we had all this green screen at the end of the film so but the but the film is awesome and you know they nailed it right and if it's you know if people like us keep preaching about it and people keep subscribing to the podcast well of course you can't subscribe yet i'm think i'll pro i'm gonna try getting it on itunes and spotify this week (laughs) (laughs) but if you get that support and you get that voice out there i mean they made a second boondock saints movie and there was really no reason for that yeah that one's questionable yes um so so maybe john you know we'll get we'll we'll find out when john actually dies at some point let's hope it's don coscarelli who gets to tell that story i would i'm not gonna hold my breath but i'm gonna be anticipating it right well um so with that all said um 
I can't really think of too much more. I think we've covered as much as we could and uh, was a little more heavy in uh, in certain places, but that's the beauty of podcasting. Um, you know, gives you the personality, you know, the knowledge and all that bollocks. Um, so if you got anything to plug, the D&D, the tabletop, anything new with that? Still prepping everything there. I'm um, looking forward to a book that's coming out here shortly from a Kickstarter that a lot of uh, players of Dungeons and Dragons have been looking forward to called Kisarda. Hopefully going to get actually trying to do a review of that. Um, if I ever do get that up and running, I'll send you the link if we, if we want to attach it to this. All right. But that's all I'm looking at so far. Okay. Um, as for me, um, you can, uh, if you want to be a guest on the podcast, you have a theme actor or director and, uh, can focus on their sub 100 minute movies. I'll be happy to have you on, uh, send me an email at rustthebus 7 at gmail.com, or you can follow me at Twitter at, at main event zombie. Uh, and my writings can all be found on main event of the dead.com. Uh, so um otherwise you know main event zombie can find a lot of stuff if you love to see cat pics i guess um uh, but uh thank you very much uh kodiak for coming back uh, it's great having you um i think we're really building momentum with the podcast and i've just noticed my cat getting into my whiskey uh <laughs> i'm sitting here scratching my dog's belly she's been sitting next to me the whole time <laughs> so uh until next week uh thank you very much for paying uh tuning in and thank you again kodiak for uh bringing the content absolutely i look forward to the next one all right thank have you a have a good night can i hear a wahoo